0: Welcome, everyone. Uh, It's really a tremendous for our community that we gather together with such eagerness and such zeal to hear what we anticipate to be words of tshuva from someone who we know is going to deliver a message that's going to be very meaningful and uplifting and empowering to all of us. I think it says a lot that we are delayed because we don't have enough chairs, because we have Bar HaShem, so many people. I do want to point out to Rabbi Krohn that, in spite of what he sees here, it is not true that in Atlanta more women do tshuva than men. It's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to begin, first of all, by offering a yeshikoah to the Congregation Narah Mizrah and to Rabbi Hashem Harman for co-hosting this and for initiating this particular tshuva project. This is the 15th year that Nehra Mizrach and Beth Jacob have taken it upon themselves during a Sarasamei tshuva to create a program uh, that will help help people move towards Yom Kippur properly. And in just a minute we're going to have a chance to hear from Rabbi Hashanah. So Rabbi Cohen doesn't need an introduction, the old cliche, he needs no introduction, but I want to introduce you, the people, to Rabbi Krohn. And I would do so by saying that Rabbi Krohn is only what he is because of us. If Kalal Yisrael didn't carry within its own heart a tremendous and constant longing for growth, for tshuva, for connection to Baruch Hu, Rabbi Krohn would be out of business. You know, how you just have to do Mila all day long. <laughs> and even the Mila thing might actually, yeah, that's another story. But but the reason Rabbi Kron is a success is because Klai Yisrael can be counted on to look for more, to look inside, to want to be inspired, to want to grow, to take in our and to actually make a difference in our relationship with Kucha that's what it's all about. So this moment, this gathering is a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. And a Tz Hashem, every hear-heard tshuva that comes from every single person, not only will it be as chus for our Magid, for Rabbi Krum, who will have inspired us in myriad ways, but it means that our entire community will literally be elevated because of the fact that we'll leave here with the thoughts of tshuva, and thoughts of connection to Hon Baruch Hu, thoughts of Tara as we come to Yom Kippur. So, B'Asha each and every one of you. Everybody had to make arrangements to be here. I know some husbands are home because they're babysitting so their wives could be here. Um, we're recording this, so we'll be able, to, Mr. Shem, to be able to share it. And uh, I want to ask Rabbi please, to share a thought with us before we hear from
1: Rabbi <coughs> Uh, the Russia tonight is sponsored by uh, f- a few families. They are <laughs> Luna Shemal Bishak and Sim, Luna and Miriam, David Ben Yoshua, Brina, and Marta. Rabbi Kron does not need the, the introduction. I know Rabbi Kron for almost thirty years. Baruch Hashem, I learned a lot from Rabbi Kron in the same business and uh, <laughs> the. The topic that I'm going to speak tonight is uh, unity. I had one ahara that I wanted to bring up as a unity, unified community. A lot of communities around America are jealous of Atlanta because of unity that the Baruch Hashem exists in this community. Midrash tells us that the Tor ahab, that everybody was over the Hashem gave them and because they were unified. I brought up in my shul one time, I want to point out, if you look around in this community, during the coronavirus, there was not there was nothing happened in this community. And I give that as a zachut of unity that this community had. Rabbi Shthemin always said, that you are going to say in kotvenu, the, tefillot, why don't we say, me, Remi- remember me, write me, why us? So Stenham says, that each one of us have to think about the other one, and on young people. We can't just think about ourselves. Baruch Hashem, we have a community that everybody, things about the other person, the Kovach of Chesed, in this country is unbelievable. And the Hashem should help us, should continue, should go forward. And we always look to have the unified community and the in the merit of this unified community, should be It is my honor to introduce to you, Rabbi Fromm, which he doesn't need to introduce. Rabbi Ferman says, no, it doesn't introduction. He is known to everybody. Say Rabbi Krohn, I know who he is. Nobody is even asks me, who is Rabbi Krohn? Whenever I, I bring a name, they tell me, who are you talking about? Rabbi Kron, everybody know. And uh, his lectures is everywhere. Everybody hears him and everybody inspires by him. I remember one year I went with you to Krakow and we went to Sarashanir, and you explained such as unbelievable. The inspi- inspiration that I had with Abekon was unbelievable. It's my honor and pleasure to introduce Abekon. Also, I want to thank Bejeko for hosting this, and it should be so hard to do this many, many years. <laughs>
2: It is really such a great honor to come back to Atlanta. Haven't been here in many, many years, not only because of COVID, but even before that. I love this place. I mean, how could you not love a place where Dave and Julie Silverman live? (laughs) He's like my brother, she's like my sister, and it's been like that from the first time that I came here when Rabbi Emanuel Feldman was still the rabbi, Rabbi Mark Volk, if you remember, he was the assistant rabbi, that was 160 years ago. <laughs> but, uh, so that goes back a long time. I thank Rabbi Feldman for his kind words. I thank Rabbi Koshkeman for his friendship. As he said, we are both Meilen. We have shared many, many experiences together. And there's somebody that I really owe a tremendous amount of curse. I tell you, I know she doesn't, Wanted I should mention her, but she, she's been just wonderful. And her name is Shelley Ovdat, and uh, she deserves a round of applause because... If not for her, you know, the plane trips and all the arrangements wouldn't have happened. So I thank her, Rabbi Tendler, all the wonderful people that helped bring me here. And I hope, as the Rabbana mentioned, that we'll be able to be inspired together. There's a very interesting posik in Amos. Amos is one of the prophets. And the posik is in Amos Gimel Posik Ches. And it says like this Ariye Sho'og. if a lion roared, Mila Yira, wouldn't you be afraid? You walk on Holly, you walk on Bramble, and, uh, or Mary. I'm not going to say the other one, but whatever. <laughs> 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 I do my research. Okay. So. Ariye Shah, if a lion roars, Mila Yira, wouldn't you be afraid? So Moforshim says something fabulous. Ariye, which is spelled Aleph Reish, Yurhei, stands for Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yaim Hakipurim, and Hashanah Rabbah. So if these days are roaring to us, Mila Yira, shouldn't we be afraid? And of course, these are days of reflection and introspection And as Rabbi Feldman said, a time of tshuva. So a number of years ago, the Rav in our shul, Nebuchadnezzar already passed away, but he mentioned this thing, which is famous. Many people know this. But he said, I don't understand the Pesach. This past Cholmoy Pesach, he said, I took my children to the Bronx Zoo. And we were by the lions and they were roaring and my kids were loving it. And they couldn't hear more and more of the roar. So like, what does it mean? If a lion roars, aren't you going to be afraid? The kids were loving it. And he said, of course they were loving it because the lion was in a cage. <laughs> and if the lion's in a cage, you've got nothing to worry about. So I want to show you now something that he said that is so incredible. If you look it up in your Sukkot Mahzah tonight, and it's in many of the regular adorum the final prayer... The final prayer on Hashanah Rabbah. Listen to what we all say. It's incredible. Yehi May it be the will of Hashem. Shetosir mechitzas habarzel hamafsekes beinenu Please take away that iron bar, that iron cage that separates us. And that's the final tefillah we're asking Hashem. You don't be in a cage. We shouldn't be in a cage. We should be together. We should be close to each other and then, if Hashem, so to speak, is out of the cage, then of course we feel His presence and we have what to be worried about. But I'm telling you that we can all roar back. It's true. The lion roars. But you know what Billam said about the Jewish people? Like a young lion, they can get up and they can respond. And tonight, we're going to learn how to respond. It's true. There is what to be afraid about. Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yemek Yippurim, and Hashanah Rabbah. But we're going to learn how to roar back. And that's what Hashem wants. Hashem doesn't want us in a cage, and certainly not Himself in a cage. But we're going to get close to each other, so to speak, and we'll be able to see how we're going to be able to progress. It seems to me that Hashem orchestrated a world event in an incredible way, right before Rosh Hashanah. Last week, I came to London on Tuesday, the day after the funeral. It was arranged before that I would be coming on Tuesday and thank goodness because Monday, the whole country was closed. But the truth is that for the two weeks before the funeral, I was so moved and I'm telling you frankly, sometimes when I saw the honor and the esteem and the adulation that the country, that the UK, that England had for the Queen, it brought me to tears. Such magnificence, such covet and such honor for Malchus. And it occurred to me, what are we doing for Rosh Hashanah and the Aserah made Shuvah? We're saying, HaMelech HaKodesh, God, you're the holy king. Hamelach HaMishpat, the king who does Mishpat. And Rosh Hashanah, we dab in Malchies. What are we doing to make Hashem the king? What covet, what honor are we giving the king of the world? The way England gave to Queen Elizabeth. And I'll tell you something amazing. I got there Tuesday morning and some people told me that they actually took their children to the funeral so that they should see King Charles and be able to make a bracha on him. Imagine that. There's a gemara that says when you see a king, you're supposed to say a bracha. We don't have a monarch in America So we don't even relate to that So what are we supposed to do To make Hashem the king? And I'll tell you something very interesting Rabbi El Lapian Takes one word of a Gemara And points out something fascinating He says The Gemara is in Rosh Hashanah And it says like this Hashem says On Rosh Hashanah I want you to Say Malchios means kingdom. So that you make me the king, but then the Gemara ends another word. Aleichem, on you. Don't just tell me I'm the king of the world. I know that. Hashem wants more than that. Not that just we say, HaMelech, HaMishpot, HaMelech, HaKodesh, and we say Hashem is the king of the world. Aleichem, on you, every one of us. What can we do from tonight on that we feel that Hashem is the king? I'll give you an idea. What I think that every single one of us should do from tonight on any mitzvah that you do, whether it's lighting candles Friday night, putting on a talis, putting on tvilen, sitting in the sukkah, shaking the lulav, when you say the bracha, this is how you should say it. When you say the words, stop, pause for a second, and think. Hashem is our king. Why are we putting on tefillin? There's no logical reason to put on tefillin or to light candles Friday night. We are doing it because you, the king, are telling we, the subjects, to do it. So when you say the word, Elikeinu melech, stop and think, Hashem, you are the melech. And that's why I say, that's why we are doing it, because you've commanded us to do the mitzvah. So the first way that we can make Hashem a king is every time that we say a brocha, stop for half a second and think about that word kingdom, melech, king, and then you say the brocha and that's the reason why we are doing these brochas. We've gone through very, very difficult times. The last two or three years have been absolutely terrible for so many, many people around the world and our Jewish community, as well. Rahman al-Islam, COVID, socially, financially, emotionally, terrible. And if that wasn't enough, Neveh, Then the 45 tzaddikim who died in Merom. And if that wasn't enough, then Surfside. Three months ago, I was in Surfside. It was the first yard site. I can't tell you how heartbreaking it was to stand in front of, seven shuls together, and the widows of some of those people who were crushed in Surfside. The children, Yosemim and Yosemis, of those parents, Nebach, who were killed that terrible night in Surfside in Miami. And if that wasn't enough, then came the problem with Ukrainian Jews. Think about this. We're almost dull to it already. Imagine if Chas shown tomorrow morning you gotta leave Atlanta. And you could only leave with one baggage, one suitcase. And you were go to a country where you didn't even speak the language. You know what that means? Think about that. I was in Ukraine. I took a tour a number of years ago, just like Rabbi Koshko mentioned, that I've been to Krakow every year since 2003. I went to different countries where Yiddish got flourished. I was in Ukraine a couple of years ago. I saw the yeshivas in Kiev. I saw the kids singing in camps, Jewish day camps boys and girls, and they're all running. They'll never go back there. It's terrible. And then, of course, the loss of the Godel the greatest Talmud Chacham, the greatest Oyev Terah, the greatest Masmed, Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Zechatzadeh B'Kaddish And some of you certainly know the name Zechari Walestein, who one could almost say was a Godel in Kirov in New York we lost somebody called Yankee Meyer who started Ms. who has helped thousands and thousands of mourners. It's been a tough two, three years. And we will never ever know why Hashem did all these things until Moshiach comes. But every one of us has to respond. If Hashem gives us a situation, gives us a challenge, we may not understand why He did it but we have to respond And that's what we're going to learn tonight How did we respond To the last 2-3 years In such a way that hopefully That the coming year Tof Shin Pei Gimel should be Or we're already in Pe Gimel Tehei Shnas It should be the year when the Geula When the redemption Is made public So one thing I think that's so important Is we have to know what is the ideal Jew. And it's very interesting. Rabbi Yitzchok Specter, the Kovner Rav, once said about a posik in Truma, of all places. This one Posik he says, that defines what every Jew should be. And that's the Posik that talks about the wings that were on top of the Aran Kodesh. And the Pasek tells us like this, the wings, per se, they spread the wings upward. But then we know on the bottom of the wings there were two faces. Some say it was a little boy and a little girl. And the Posec tells us, their faces were towards each other. So there's two elements of being a Jew. There's the Be'n Adam, I'm walking, per through Torah and Tefillah. We focus upward towards Hashem. But we can never, ever forget the Pnei'em Yishalochif. There are many people who learn tremendously but have nothing to do with the community. That's not what the ideal Jew is. And there are many people who are good at heart and do tremendous chesed but they don't learn and don't daven. That's not what the ideal Jew is. The ideal Jew is that combination that the Kovnerov told us. Rabbi Yitzchel Alchonah. final, Milo. And then, Pnei'em Yishalochif. So I want to tell you a delightful story, and we will see the cleverness how the Lubavitcher Rebbe, on the spot, was able to give a lesson that's a life lesson. In the early 1950s, that's when Rav Menachem Mendel Schneiser became the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe. His father-in-law, the Riats, had passed away, and of course, when he became the Rebbe, He had a lot of time that he wasn't so popular the way he was at the end of his life. So when people came to him, he was able to talk to them. So a father from Brooklyn comes in where the Rebbe was in Crown Heights with his son. And he asked the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, could you give my son a bracha, a blessing? He's going to become bar mitzvah. So the Rebbe says, sit down, let's talk. And he's talking to the boy and to the father, and suddenly he asks a question to the boy. The father was surprised. They couldn't believe he asked such a question. He said, Are you interested in sports? Kid said, Yeah. He said, What sport do you like best? He said, I like baseball. He said, Is there any team that you root for? He didn't even know the Rebbe knows there's teams, but okay. He said, Yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. I like the Brooklyn Dodgers. I mean, I grew up loving the Brooklyn Dodgers. I can still tell you the lineup of the 1955 World Series. But he said, yeah, I like the Brooklyn Dodgers. So the Rebbe says, does your father ever take you to the games? He said, yeah, he took us two weeks ago, and it was terrible. So the Rebbe says, what, is it? what do you mean it was terrible? He said it was the seventh inning. The Dodgers were losing 10-0, so we left. So the Rebbe looks at the boy and he said, did the players also leave? <laughs> he says, the players? Players can't leave, I'm a fan, you know, if I'm not interested, I can leave with the players, they gotta stay to the end. The Rebbe said, that's the lesson I'm trying to teach you. He said, right now you're so excited you're gonna put on filling. You're so excited you could be counted for the minion. And adults too, sometimes they get so excited about doing a mitzvah, but then after a while the enthusiasm wanes and they're not so interested. Remember all your life, be a player, don't be a fan. What a great lesson. Be a player, don't be a fan. You know what that means? You never, ever give up. You know, to me, who was the greatest player, if you could say that about him, was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva lost 24,000 students. Could you imagine if you were teaching Torah? 24,000 students, God got rid of them within a period of 33 days. You would say, okay, I'm out of here. Obviously, you don't like my Torah, you don't like my teaching, I'll go do something else. No, that's not what he said. Rabbi Kiki said, listen, we didn't do it the right way. To new Dachem, he got five, some say seven students, and he said, Shalotazokamazehim, we got to do, we got to change what we did. We have to teach them a little bit more covered one to the other, to give honor more to the other. And then the Gemara tells us, Umolu kol Eretz Yisrael He filled the whole entire Eretz Yisrael. You know what? Because, he was a player. He didn't give up. Many of us have gone through difficult times. Financially, emotionally, socially. A Yid can never, ever give up. No matter what Hashem throws at us. If He throws it at us, that means He knows that we can respond. And that's the first response. We don't give up. Ever. And that's the purpose of a gathering like this tonight. That we're there for each other. Because sometimes we have a down. A downside: We feel depressed. We feel lost. You come to a show like this. You come to a community like this. You come to a gathering. We're all here together. That's really what it's all about. That's the first way. Here's the second way. You know, I have an aunt who lives in Detroit. Her name, she just died a few, two, three months ago. Her name was Fahy Shonig. She married my mother's brother. She was Faye Ackerman. then he passed away, and then she moved to Detroit, and she married this wonderful guy, Sammy Shomen. Now, every year, or every other year, I used to go to Detroit before COVID and speak during Gallo, and of course I went in to visit my aunt. She was over 90 when she passed away, 95. So when I saw her a couple years ago, you know, I asked her, Dr. Faye, how are you doing? She says, well, I just got back from my exercise class. I said, what do you mean? I said, you're over 80. She said, no, I lead the class. You got to get these women moving. You know, she was very sprite, small, and sprite and energy for 10 people. Now, I knew, and some of us will certainly remember this horrendous day, August 9, 2001, she was in Zabaros. She was in Zabaros, the day of those terrible, terrible bombings, when 15 people were killed, and 135 were injured. I knew that she lost part of her hearing because of that deafening explosion. Now, that was all that I knew. I don't know how in the world this past LO, when I went to visit her, we got onto this discussion. But she says, I want to tell you something. I don't think you know this. She said, you know, I was there with Gitti, her daughter that I knew. And she told me Gitti was paying for the pizza downstairs. She was upstairs, walking upstairs to put the pizza on the table. And suddenly there was this deafening explosion. And because she was a short, thin little woman, she was blown and thrown against the wall, she lost her shoes. And in a second, her daughter came running up and said, Ma, we gotta get out of here. She says, how can I get out of here? It's rubble and glass all over, I got no shoes. Said, Ma, if there was one bombing, there's gonna be a second one. And sure enough, there was a second one. She said, I'll carry you, we gotta get out. And there was a huge hole in the wall, They were able to get out. She carried her mother across the street. There was a woman who had a used bookshop. She was telling people to come in and be safe until the police evacuated everyone. And she said to everyone, look, you're gonna have to leave soon. You can stay as long as you want, but the cops are gonna come. We can hear the ambulances and the sirens. You're gonna have to leave. She said, how could I leave? I, I don't have shoes. Within three minutes, some little man, a short fellow, comes in with a kippah and gives my aunt a pair of shoes. She said, how do you know I need shoes? I said, the lady called me, I have a shoe store down the block. I want you to take these shoes, never ever come back to give them to me. They're yours, just be safe, take the shoes and run wherever you can. So, and that's what happened. 20 minutes later, everybody had to leave and she took those shoes and she went to Gitti's house. Gitti was taken to the hospital but she was okay at the end. But she went to get these houses. I said to her, Tata Fe, you still got the shoes? She said, yeah, I got the shoes. I said, can I see them? I'd love to see them. She goes into her bedroom, she brings him back the shoes. I take a look, I see the Hebrew letters of the fellow from the, books, from the shoe store. He had a, he's a Jewish fellow, and of course, all the letters are in Hebrew. You know, Nalayim, whatever it was, whatever the name of the store was. And then listen to what she tells me. She says I want you to know for the last 20 years every time something happens to me that I'm thinking God why did you make this happen to me? I go into my bedroom, I take off my shoes, I put on my sabaro shoes I stand and I look at them and I say thank you Hashem you kept me alive. And that's the second thing. I guarantee you my Tanda Fege when she grew up in Washington D.C. never went to Obes There were no Obes in those years. But that amuna, that trust, and that faith, and hakorazatev means recognizing the good, that's the second way that we exist. Every single one of us here tonight has so much good in this world, except we don't think about it. We're always thinking what we don't have. There are many people in this room that are still happily married, many, right? <laughs> So those of you happily married tonight before you go to sleep just stand against the wall and say, Thank you, Hashem. I have a wonderful spouse. There are many, many people who have wonderful children and grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. There are many people whose homes have been paid off. They have wonderful jobs. Do you ever stop to think the good that you have? You know what once occurred to me? The word moidim that we say in Shemonesrei Meidim is spelled Mem Vov Mem. It equals Vagamatria to 100. Why? It's no accident. Because you've got to be grateful for 100% of the things that you have. And that's the second thing. Not only be a player and not give up. Realize we have so much good. Did anybody ever stop and say, Thank you, Hashem, for Rabbi Feldman? Did you ever say that? You should. Right? A loyal rabbi who came from a rabbi who started this whole community. Do you ever think about it? All we think about is that his father caught a ball in the World Series. Right? But otherwise? <laughs> right? But otherwise, do we ever thank Hashem for his leadership? It's something to be grateful for and not to be taken for granted. Now I want to tell you another story about Hakar Satayb. I have a dear friend. He used to be called Howie Leibowitz. There Today he's not Howie. Chaim Khonor Leibwitz. Became a baltimore ishaim a great doctor, a genius. He was born in Boston. He went to Harvard Medical School. He taught in the medical school, and then he went to Eretz Yisrael and he became a talmud of Rabbi Noach Weinberg in Eishat and he taught in Eishat Torah. He taught the Inspire program in Eishat Torah, and that's where I met him. I met him in Eretz Yisrael, and he told me an amazing thing. He went back to Boston after he got married. And he became the chief resident in Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, a very famous hospital. One day, he's on the third floor, and there's a code blue. Now, you never, ever want to hear a code blue. Code blue means that somebody's dying. It's a life-threatening situation. Anybody in Hotsala knows code blue is very, very dangerous. He told me he didn't even wait for the elevator. He ran down to the cafeteria where he was, they announced where the problem was, A woman had had a major heart attack. All the doctors were working on her already. And when he came in, everybody knew Howie was the chief resident. A doctor turned to him and said, Howie, we're losing her. There's nothing you can do. He said, let me try. And he told me that the first thing that he did was that he gave her intravenous catheter of epinephrine to make sure to prevent any blood clot in the arteries. And then he took his defibrillator and he tried to shock her heart so that it would start beating again. And he did it four times, five times, six times. And the doctors were leaving. He just saw on the side, they're just leaving. And he told me, he said, he, he said to himself, he's going to try one more time. Now, he didn't have time to say much to them, but he said one plusic. And then he pressed the defibrillator. And one of the doctors yelled, How? Oh, you got a heartbeat! You got a heartbeat! The monitor went up. And of course, he kept on pumping, and literally, he brought her back to life. He sent her up to ICU. Cafeteria was cleared, and he went back upstairs. This was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. 10 o'clock at night, he told me. He's thinking, should he go up to visit her? It's not really his patient, but he realized. His name is Leibowitz. That's a nice Jewish name. Her name was like Kelly or Flanagan. So he knew, obviously she's not Jewish, and if she meets the Jewish doctor that saved her, maybe one day she'll do something good for Jewish people. You never know. So he decided he's going to go. Fine. This time, there's no rush. She took the elevator, and it went into. His, he goes into her room. He comes into her room. There's a man sitting on her bed. The second he walks in, the man jumps up and says, "That's the guy." He says, "Excuse me, sir. Who are you?" He says, "I'm her husband. I saw. I saw you're the only one who cared. You're the only one who didn't give up. Everybody else, all the doctors, they were leaving. You kept on going, and you brought her back to life." Well, when the woman hears. This is the doctor who brought her back to life. She starts crying. She can't stop crying. Finally, he told me it was so embarrassing waiting for her to get control of herself. And then listen to what she says. She says, Dr. Leibowitz, what should I say? Thank you? That's what you say when somebody holds a door to you, for you. I just want you to know, when I go home and I see my children, I'm going to stop for a minute and I'm going to say, thank you, Dr. Leewood. And in two weeks when I walk on the boardwalk together with my husband, I'm gonna stop. And I'm gonna look out at the water and I'm gonna say, thank you, Dr. Leibowitz. And in six months when I have another birthday, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna say, thank you, Dr. Leibowitz. He was so moved. He told me he walked out. He went to the stairwell. He didn't want to go to the elevator. In the dark stairwell where he was walking back upstairs, he said out loud, Nobody was there, just in the dim light of the stairwell. He was talking to Hashem. He said, Hashem, when I come home and I see my wife and my kids, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, thank you, Hashem. And the next time I open up a Chumash and I understand the Pasek or I understand the piece of Gemara, I'm going to stop and I'm going to say, thank you, Reb Neich And now that I'm walking up the stairs, he said, and I'm not out of breath, I say, thank you, Hashem. And that's the second way how we can cope. We have to begin to look at all the good that we have. And when you come home tonight and you see your kids and you thought they were going to be sleeping, don't get angry. Give them a hug. Tell them a story that you heard. Tell them a thought that you heard. Be grateful that you have a child that's home. Be grateful that you have grandchildren that you can see on Shabbos. Let's begin thinking about all the good that we have. Now we said from Rabbi Yitzchak Khanan that there's two parts of being a yid: persek in the fire, lamayla, facing upward through Torah and Tfila, and of course being adam l'chaveiroi. Now, one of the tragedies, the great tragedies that happened recently, of course, was the passing of the Godalador. Now he had tremendous, tremendous mind. There's no way that any of us will ever know what he knew. He finished Shas, Yerushalmei, Shas, babli every year, Chumash and Tanakh and Tillam and Zoyar. And he learned Kisra Arizal and Kisra Ramchal every day. It's beyond. We can never be like that. But one thing we could perhaps gain, and that was his Abbas HaTayra. His love for study, His love for learning. Where did he get it? So I'll tell you something very interesting. You know, when he was a little boy, only four years old, he came from Poland. He came to live by his mother's brother in Eretz Yisrael. His mother's brother was the Chazaynish. The God Ladar, Rav Yeshaya Karelitz, Nebach, Nebach, he had no children. And he loved this little genius, his nephew, as his own child. Now, I am positive, without a doubt, that the Chazaynish told him this story. And this is probably one of the ways that he got his great Abbas HaTayret. You see, when the Chazaynish came to Eretz Yisrael, it was mostly farmland, especially in Bnei Brak. And he moved in, I guess, to an apartment with his wife. And people said to the municipality, you know, you got to build a street light near his house. He's a great tzaddik, and he can fall at night, it's dangerous. So they built a street light right in front of his house. A few days later they asked him, new Rebbe, what do you say about the light? Listen how an Adam goggle how a great person thinks. He said, you know, I noticed something very interesting. That when I'm at this part of the block and the light is down there, my shadow is very, very big. But as I walk closer and closer to the light, my shadow gets small and when I'm next to the light, I have almost no shadow at all. And he said, you know, that light represents the Or Torah, the light of Torah. If somebody is very far from the light of Torah, they think, oh, I know so much. I cover so much ground. The closer you get to the light of Torah, the more you realize you don't know. And so therefore, you always have to be learning. That's why the Khazainish never stopped learning. And I'm sure he told it to his nephew. And that's why his nephew never stopped learning and that's what we have to realize the closer the more we learn the more we realize how little we know now there's something else that he did that i think every father every grandfather and maybe even every mother can do when he was a little boy when apian kanievsky was a little boy his father the stipler, of Yaakov israel kanievsky was the godfather He used to rock him to sleep. And he would sing a song to him when he put him to sleep. He did not sing Mary Had a Little Lamb," But I'll tell you what he sang. Now, I don't know the tune that he used, but I'll tell you, and it's so personal to me, as you'll see in a moment. What he did was he took the list of all the Mishnayas, from Brachis all the way down to Upset, and he made a song out of it. And every night before he put his child to sleep, he would sing the song to him. So by the time the child was four years old, by the time the child was four years old, he knew the names of all the Mesathos. It was no problem, because you can learn any song. If I've run free Mordechai ben David, they take a song of the piyut of Musaf or whatever. And we're not familiar with the word you sing it 20 times, you learn it. Now, I will never forget when my son, Eliezer, who's today a rob in, a place can in New Jersey, when he was in the fifth grade in first Moshe. So he had a rebbe, a Shikai, Reb Chonesh Weitzman, and he told the boys that after Sukkot, when they come home from the vacation, they got to know all of Shas. The kid said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, you got to know the names of all the receptors." "How am I going to learn it?" You, "You'll figure it out." He comes home. He says, "Todd, how am I going to do this?" I said, "That's not a problem." But he says, "What do you mean it's not a problem?" I said, "Listen, I'm going to take all the names of all the receptors. I'm going to put it down on a sheet of paper, and I'm going to make up a song to a tune that you know, so you won't have to learn the tune." And if we sing it often enough, you'll see, you'll know it. Now, I'm not going to sing you the whole tune, but I'm going to sing you the first part. And the reason that I'm going to sing you the first part is because most of you know this tune. And if I sang it ten times, you don't know it. Listen to this. If I sang it ten times, you don't know it. You'll know one of the Dharam of Shas. And you know something? When my son finished Shas as an adult, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Tal, you know why I was able to finish Shas? Because I wasn't afraid of it. Because I knew all the names. So you can make the song, and he'll know it. But I'm telling you, by is this boy right really He'll know it. So I'm giving you homework. You make up the song. And send it out. Why not? We could all learn it, and we could all know it. And I'm going to tell you now, Rabbi Chaim birthday, because I'm sure somebody here is going to have his English birthday or his Hebrew birthday, and the rest of your life you'll be able to be so proud of your birthday. Anybody here born January eighth? Yeah. You who? My daughter. Your daughter. Okay. All right. And then in Hebrew it was Tesvov Teves. Now I want to show you something. This is the greatest. Insight That I ever heard From Chaim Kanievsky Now he was very close To his family And we all know this story In the Torah Yitzchak, Avino is about to die And he wants to give a bracha To his son Esav Yaakov comes, Yaakov gets the bracha And here comes Esav And the Pasek in us tells us two words Vayovei la'oviv." He brought the food to his father Look at these words. Anybody notice something unusual about these words? Yove La'oviv. What do you notice? I see Rabbi Feldman is already. Said, there you go. It's a palindrome, right? You can read it backwards and forward. We've seen these words 10,000 times. Only Rab Chaim realized it's a palindrome. Mom, Pop, Radar, Race Car, dove, All these words, right? Sir so Rab Chaim said something amazing. He said, you know why it's a palindrome? Listen to this lesson. The way you treat your parents... That's how your children are going to treat you. How do you like that? You want to know why you got nasty kids? <laughs> Look in the mirror. Think back how you used to be. That's what Rabbi is teaching us. That's the pound And Mrs. Fisher, Perik Chob Zion Posit Laman Aleph, if you're writing it down. Inveracious. Perik Chob Zion Posit Aleph. And you know something? I want to tell you something. Do you know his son in law, Rabbi Chokaladeski, told me? Every single morning, every single morning, after Abchaim David, he would go visit his mother before he went to learn in the Kola. Sometimes his mother would make a breakfast, sometimes they would just shmooze. And when his mother passed away, listen to this, of course the family sat Shiva, and he stopped coming. A few days later, his father met him in the street, the stapler, the God Ladur, and he said to him in Yiddish, I love it how it sounds in Yiddish. And then of course I'll translate He said I also enjoyed when you came And Rabbi Chaim's mouth dropped open You know a mother likes to schmooze with her kids A father? Yeah A father also wants to hear from his son Whether, Even if they talk and learning Or talk anything But a father wants to hear from his son So one of the things that we have to begin improving on Is our relationship to our parents and one of the things that every person has to do is make sure that your children call their grandparents every Friday to say good Shabbos. It's very important. That's what Rav Chaim believed. by Yovei L'Avod. Now I don't say this every place, but I'm gonna say it here because you know I love so many of you here. I hope I'll be able to do it tonight. Yeah, it looks like I'll be able to. Thursday night every Thursday night at 10.30 I have one of the greatest things of my life and that is called a Zidi conference call A ZD com- and, you, and there are many of you old enough to do it every Thursday night at 10.30 there's a conference all my children and grandchildren over 12 and 13 boys and girls they all get on and speak for 15 minutes tell them the latest story, I heard the latest soccer, or whatever, anything that's going on of course they interject as well 50-20 minutes, but nobody misses it, and the family becomes so tight, and that's what we need, unity, not only unity in the community, unity in the family, we forget about families, make that conference call if you can, in the beginning it's going to be a little cumbersome, but you start doing it, you have a tight family, that's one of the most incredible, incredible things. Now, there's another thing that I believe that can change our lives. The Chavetz Chaim writes in Sefer Abbas Chesed, Beis, the 12th chapter, Umayid, means it's very important. Tzarech zahir, a person has to be careful. Shala yechsa achesed afil echad chayav. Every day, from today on, if you still can, do a favor for another Jew and write it down Keep a notebook. Don't write down ten, because you can't do ten every day, and then you're gonna feel bad. But I'm telling you, you do this forty days in a row, your life will change. You know why? Hashem tzilcha, God is your shadow. If you do for others, Hashem's gonna do for you. I'm not talking a husband for a wife, a wife for a husband. That you gotta do if you know what's good for you. <laughs> I'm talking out of the house. You don't become a big tzaddik because you know your wife flowers on Friday, or she makes you, you know, coffee late at night or early in the morning. That's not what it's about. Every one of us should be doing a chesed. Now I want to show you what I consider one of the greatest stories of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. This story happened a number of years ago when he was much younger and he was able to walk very quickly and diligently. It was the month of Tishrei and he was looking to buy a lulav in one of the stores in Bnei Brak. And he comes in and the proprietor sees, oh, the good Lador here, yeah, of course. Gave him the most gorgeous lulav. Rab looks at it. No, he doesn't want this one. Second one? No. Third one? Yeah, this one will take. Fine. Pays for it. And he leaves with the son-in-law. A guy comes running out of the store. He says, I don't believe what I just saw. He said, what did you just see? He said, you know how long it takes me to choose a lulav? An hour and a half. Rab was in the store, 15 minutes. And he got a lulav. He says, come with me. He said, where are we going? He said, just come with me. So he walks with Rab and his son-in-law and the paid luluf. They come into Rab Chaim's house, they go up the stairs, they come to the table where Rab learns there's 25 luluf on the table. The guy says, what is this? He says, my father-in-law realizes, Rab Chaim realizes that people watch every little thing that he does. Imagine if he goes into a luluf store, a place where this, and he doesn't buy one. Nobody will buy anymore from that guy. I'll say, hey, Rab couldn't find a luluf, I'm going to find a luluf. So every store he goes into, he buys at least one glove. When he's got 25, it takes him three hours to pick out the right one. Imagine that, who thinks like that? Imagine you go into to buy a suit, a tie, a dress, a shirt, or whatever, and they don't have it. So that's their problem, not your problem. No, it's Rab Haim. that was his problem. That's what caring about another Jew is all about. I'll tell you a story about Rab Haim. it's just amazing. And the reason that I'm stressing these stories about Rab Chaim is because everybody talks about his it. learning. Persik, the final of my But they don't realize the Pnei Mishalachit. HaLochet. Chaim was once, he never, ever refused being a Sandik. If a person is a Sandik, it's a school of rashiris. It's a merit that a person is going to become wealthy. That's what it says in a So in Bnei Brak, very prolific community, he could be a Sandik ten times a day. Imagine 10 times a day. Some people ask me, if you're a mile, why you move to René Rock? They pay more in New York. But, but anyway. But the point is, he, once in my life, once, I was able to do a Bruce and he was the sonic. My only regret is that I didn't hire a photographer. I'm very friendly with the Greenham family. They heard I was coming to Auschwitz. They said, listen, we'll have Rokhaim in the basement. she you come right from the airport, you'll be able to do the bris. And I'm telling you, it was so special to move his hands, you know, his fluffy hands on, uh, on the baby's legs, you know, because you got to adjust the lip. the hands. They should hold their legs properly. It was very special. So somebody found out he's going to a bris in Kiryat Shmona, which was um, three hours north of, uh, of Bnei Rock. So a couple who never had no children came to Rab Chaim and they said, look, We heard that you're going up to Kiryat Shmona. Would you mind? We have no children. And on the way back, there's an Arab town. We know that many people don't go there, but if you're up there, see, Shunam, that town, was where the Isha HaShunamis was buried. Elisha gave her a bracha in Tanakh, and she was able to have a child. So it's supposed to be very meritorious if a person davens at that gravesite in Shunam. He said, we'll meet you there. You come back from the bris. You have a driver. Let him take you to Shunam. We'll meet you at the gravesite. And uh, we'll talk it together so we can have children. He thinks a moment. He says, okay, we'll meet you there. Fine. Rab goes to the bris. Has his driver bring him to Shunam. He gets out of the car. There are two busloads of people who don't have children. And they're waiting to dive on Rab Haim. takes look and he says, what in the world is going on here? Now, he didn't say it exactly that way, but that's what he meant. right? And he says, what happened here? So the guy says, listen, Rebbe, I'm so sorry. I just started telling people that I'm going to meet you here. And these families, they also want to have children. So he said, okay, fine. All the men sit on this side, the women on this side, and they all died. They died 15, 20 minutes. He told everybody to get back on the bus. Him and his wife were there, and they stayed another 10, 15 minutes, and they all went home. Now, I have a niece. Her name is Hanala Dollinger. She works in the Maini Hayeshua Hospital in Brandabrok, in the obstetrical ward. She told me 9, 10, and eleven months afterwards, so many couples had never had children before. Some five years, eight years, nine years, they all were having children. And they were all from those buses. Her neighbor, Hanala Dolinger's neighbor, told me that, told Hannah that she went to high to say thank you. Chaim said you're the 14th couple from those buses to have a child. That's part of Ben Adolam HaVeva. You want to hear what I think is the greatest when you talk about unity? This is the greatest COVID-19 story that I know. The greatest, without a doubt. This was told to me by Mrs. Devorah Monk who lives in Lakewood. In March 2020, when COVID was at its height and everybody realized that we're going to have to have a Seder alone. And many grandmothers and many people would have to be alone. Mrs. Monk told me she was terrified. She said, ever since I was a child, I was never alone for Shabbos. Either I was with my parents, my husband, my children, my grandchildren. Uh, how, how am I gonna make a say? That? I don't even know how to make Shabbos alone. Listen to this. They have neighbors, and I spoke to the neighbors, but they didn't want to mention their names, so let's just call them the Beckers. So the Beckers said to Mrs. Monk, look, your dining room window opens up to a little garden And right on the other side of that little garden is our living room window. We're willing to move our dining room table into the living room. We'll open up the window. We'll have the Seder with our kids. You'll open up your window in the dining room. You'll be able to hear us. We can have the Seder together in two different homes. She said, you would do that? She said, yeah, of course. You're like a buggy to our children. The kids love you. She said, okay, wow, that would be great. The next morning, listen to this, Mr. Becker calls Mrs. Monk and says, you know, we really, my wife gave this great idea. We don't want to do it the first time, Pesach at night. What happens if it doesn't work the first Seder? How are we going to, do it? How are we going to fix it for the second Seder? Let's have a trial run, could you imagine? Let's do it Shabbos HaGadu. It was three days before Yadav. So Shabbos Ha'gadu, they moved the table into the living room, the Becker's. She was in the dining room, and she was able to hear how Mr. Becker made kiddish to kids sang smiris. Now she knew the is going to be great. She told me she gets a knock on the door. The Becker kids are there with a Seder plate. Tomorrow, the haresis, the haroises, the carpas the salt water. Unbelievable. And the Seder went to one o'clock in the morning. It was phenomenal. 1.15, she's cleaning up. She gets a knock on the door. She's thinking, who's coming? 1.15, I know we came a half hour ago. Right? Who's coming now? She opens up the door. It's her kids. They walk 20 minutes where they live. They couldn't come inside and they couldn't have the Seder with her but they stopped their Seder they wanted to know Oma oh, you know that's how they say it in, in German How was the Seder? She said It was phenomenal She said I felt as if daddy came back She said I had no idea the Beckers were Yekis were German people They sang all the songs the way daddy did Chagagia, Rehisha, Omda I couldn't believe it She told me all of a sudden her son Yehuda started laughing She said Yehuda what's so funny He said Ma I didn't want to tell you a couple days ago they called me up and they asked me if i would make a voice recording of all the songs that daddy sang at the seder so that we could learn them and sing them for you could you imagine who would think of that that's what greatness is and that's how we survive difficult times and that's how we're going to make it through the next few years when you think out of the box when you're not thinking about yourself you're thinking being a player, not a fan, having our at atariv, and understanding that we got to do chesed for each other, and that's what unity is all about. Let me tell you one more story about unity, then we'll go to another section. This could only happen in Eretz Yisrael, on an Egged bus. Most of us used to take Egged buses until we started renting cars. Right? So on this Egged bus, there's a driver, he's been driving the bus for 30 years, he loves his job. He's got a kind word for everyone. A Jew, a non-Jew, a man, a woman, from, not from, Litvish, Hasidish, no difference. He loves everybody. Fine. One day he's driving his bus in Yerushalayim and he sees a woman running with three kids. She's running to make the bus. He holds up his hand in the big window as if to say, don't worry, I'll wait for you. You have nothing to worry about. She comes on the bus, she's out of breath. She says, thank you so much do you mind? I'll just put the kids in the back seat and I'll come up and I'll pay. He says, yeah, for sure. It's no problem. Fine. She puts the kids in the back seat. She opens up her purse. She was rushing. She took the wrong purse. She has a wallet in the purse that's in home. She has no money here. She knows what to do. She was so humiliated. She goes up to the bus driver and she says, sir, I'm so sorry, but I left in a rush, as you saw, and I left... The wallet in the other purse. I don't have any money. If you want me to get off at the next stop, I'll take the kids and we'll get off. He says, no, don't worry. It's paid for. She said, well, who paid for it? He said, no, we have a bus gemach. A gemach is like a person. She says, what did you say? He says, no, we have a bus gemach. It's paid for. She said, are you serious? I said, yeah, yeah. Go back. It's, it's fine. She goes to the back of the bus. The guy sitting behind the bus driver says, excuse me, sir, is that true? Is there really a bus on this bus? He said, yeah. He says, who's the bus gemach? He says, me. The driver said, so what are you talking about? He said, listen to this. He says, I live in Ramat Hasharon. The rabbi that we had for 50 years was a man by the name of Rabbi Yaakov Eilstein. He always quoted the Chabad time and said, you gotta do a favor every day. I was thinking, I'm not a wealthy guy. How can I do favors every day? Then it occurred to me, hey, wait a second. Sometimes a person comes on the bus They don't have enough money But they left the person home So I pay for it And he takes out the card to the CI Shows that he punched it four times And he pays for it Who thinks like that? That's what chesed is That's what Jews are all about There's one more thing Or maybe two <laughs> That we can do You know when it comes to circus, We're going to say halal Yehi shame, shem and In Perikuf Yudgim Gimopasik Be'ez, Devar tells us, Hashem's name should be blessed from today till forever. You know what that means? Every single man woman, and child in this holy room tonight, every one of us has to be a walking, talking Kiddush Hashem. That means when you're on the plane, you don't do anything that somebody's going to take out a video and then it's going to be viral. When you're shopping or when you're driving, they can tell you're a Jew. Snood, no snood. Cover your hair, didn't cover your hair. A white yarmulke, a colored yamaka, a feather in your hat, a white hat, a black hat, makes no difference. You always represent every Jew. Not only in Atlanta, you represent every Jew in the world. And if that's the case, we have to be so careful the way we act in public. Hashem has to be blessed when we make a kiddush Hashem. I want to tell you two stories, you won't believe it. One of the greatest women that passed away in the last two years was a wonderful woman. Her name was Reviton Sheila Feinstein, the wife of Rabbi Ruben Feinstein. Rabbi Moshe adored her so much. I was his daughter-in-law. He regarded her so highly. I used to see her at all the Aguda convention, the Tormuzorka, about. she was phenomenal. So never, when she passed away in a terrible car accident, I went to be Menachem Abel. I was sitting in Staten Island in Rabbi Ruben's house, a big basement, And all his children were there. So I said to one of the children, one of the daughters, I think she was from Chicago, I said, tell me a great story about your mother. She thinks, she says, I'll tell you. She says, here in Staten Island, we have an elementary school, a yeshiva elementary school. And one day, one day, the third grade rabbi woke up late. And he was rushing to get to school, to the yeshiva, because the kids had to start dialing at 8 o'clock. And he was driving too fast. and. He saw a red light ahead of him. There was a, cop, a woman that was in a car, fancy car, and he slammed on the brake. But he was driving too fast, and he went into turn. She came out of the car. He saw she was wearing a cross. Obviously, she wasn't Jewish. He said, "Man, it, listen, it's my fault. Please, please, don't call the police. Don't call the insurance company. It's my fault. Here's my name. Here's my number. Whatever it costs, I'm going to pay for it. It was my fault. I'm a rabbi. I was." rushing to school i gotta get the kids to stop praying on time please it's my fault i'm so sorry here's my number go get the estimate whatever it costs i'll pay for it okay they get into a whole discussion fine very good a few days later she calls him up and she says you know this and this is the bill and of course it was a fortune. she was driving a very fancy car so he says to her man listen i just want to ask you a favor if you don't want to do it i understand but i have a friend mendy who's got a body shop here on staten island now, if you don't mind, if you could take the car to him, but make sure that all the work that he does, you know, is good, so you're satisfied, I think the estimate is gonna be much better, much lower. To get into a whole discussion, she says, okay, she'll do it. She calls him back a couple days later. Meanwhile, Mendy called this Revi, and he said, you know, this lady said you're gonna pay for it, you're gonna be able to pay, you know, on Thursday, I'm gonna give her back the car, I'd like to have full payment. He says, yeah, I, th- I think I'll be able to do it. Wednesday, she calls him. And she says to him, the lady calls this Rebbe, and says, you know, Mendy said he wants to get paid. And tomorrow, he's going to give me back the car. Are you going to be able to pay him? He says, you know, I just want to ask you one more favor, if you don't mind. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to do it, I'll understand. But I told you, I'm a rabbi. I don't make that much money. So is there any way that you would be willing to pay the whole bill? You could lay it out and I will pay you over the next 12 months. Every first of the month, I'll pay you, and by the end of the year, you'll have your money. She thinks, she says, okay, I'll do it. And every first of the month, he sends her a check. On the 12th month, he calls her up and says, ma'am, you know, today is the final payment. I'd like to give it to you personally. Can I come to your house and, and pay you? I want to talk to you. She says, yeah. He comes into the house, and he says, ma'am, I got to ask you something. Before the accident, I didn't know you, you didn't know me. You have been so kind to me from day one. You didn't call the police, you didn't call the insurance, you went to Mendy, you laid out the money. Why are you so kind to me? You don't even know me. Listen to what she said. She said, I work in the public school system. Sheila Feinstein is my principal. As soon as I knew you were from her tribe, I knew I could trust you. Imagine that. I guarantee you, this lady probably didn't even tell Sheila Feinstein about the accident. But you're from Sheila Feinstein's tribe, so I knew I could trust you. Now listen to this. This is unbelievable. This story happened January second, 2020. Why is it so important? January second, because January first was the Simchas in MetLife Stadium, Giant Stadium, 95,000 people in the freezing cold, but everybody was there. A lot of people, right? Big Shas. On January 1st, this happened January 2nd. It happened to a famous principal. His name is Benjamin Ginsburg. He told me the story himself. He lives in Jackson, which is outside of Lakewood, and he was rushing that January 2nd in the morning to give a speech to a school in Borough Park. And he was speeding on the Garden State Parkway, weaving in and out of traffic, and a cop stops him. He pulls over to the side, he opens up the window, The cop, the first words out of the cop's mouth, did you study your page today? He says, excuse me officer, what did you just say? He says, I was working in Giant Stadium yesterday. Don't you guys study a page every day? He says, officer, it's, it's 10.30 in the morning. I didn't get a chance to study the page. He said, you're gonna study it though? He says, yeah. He says, if you promise me that you'll study it, I won't give you a summons." He says, I promise. Now listen to what the officer said. He said, you know, I've got to tell you what happened yesterday. One of the fellow officers says to me, I wish I was Jewish. I said, then why do you want to be Jewish? He said, you ever see a people like this? 95,000 people celebrating, but they didn't want a lottery. Because they study the page and they understand it. And not only that, 95,000 people are singing and dancing and not one of them is drunk. (laughs) Imagine that? And then he said the most incredible thing. He said, another officer said, you know, they made a big mistake yesterday. They called that place Giant Stadium. That's not what it was. It was a stadium of giants. That's what we could be. We could all be a stadium of giants. If we are walking, talking, and when we drive, and when we shop, and when we travel, wherever we are, if we act in a way that Hashem's name is glorified, we can be giants. That's really what it's all about. So let's review quickly, and then we'll end with two stories that are really life-changing and breathtaking. Let's remember we come in ELO but we can roar back we are like a young lion we can roar back we take Hashem out of the cage we're close to Hashem and we hear the roar but we don't have to be afraid because we can answer back how can we answer when we make Hashem the Melech on you when we make the bracha tonight on whatever bracha we're making, stop by the word melech. Think about it. Hashem is the king. And we're the subjects. And that's why we do all the mitzvahs that we do. Let's remember to be a player like the Lubavitcher Rebbe taught us. Be a player like Rabbi Akiva. Hang in there. Never give up. Let's be people that tell yotoyev, like my aunt with the sabaros, with the Sabaro shoes, with Dr. Liebowitz who heard what that woman said. And so when he goes home and he sees his kids and his wife, he has what to be grateful for. And he understands the piece of Gemara, he's thinking about Rodney Weinberg, We have so much good in this world. Let's think about that. Let's become people of unity and chesed. Like Ayove, Laoviv, that palindrome, how he went to his mother and his father. By the way, after his father said that, for the next 12 years, he didn't miss a day until his father died. Every day he went to his father once his father made that comment. Let's call the parents and the grandparents, make sure our children do that. Let's remember the story of Rab Chaim with the Let's remember the Beckers with the COVID 19, how they learned in the Egunim just to make that Armana feel happy. Let's remember about that Briskamach. Sheila Feinstein, the walking, talking kid of Shem Shemayim, and all the people at Giant Stadium. I just want to end with these two fabulous stories. This story happened in Eretz Yisrael a couple of years ago. There's a family with seven children, very modest income. They live in Hanuf, but the family is very, very tight, very close. And every year they go on a vacation and they're very organized. They give the kids an itinerary and they tell them, we're going here and here and here. Don't ask to go any other places. They're all expensive. This is what we can afford. And that year they were going to Tveria. they were going to go jeeping in Tveria, a boat ride on the Kinneret. And the father and mother told all seven children, mommy's going to make all the lunches, all the snacks. We're not going to restaurants or eateries. They're all expensive. This is what we can afford. And they gave each child a certain amount of spending money. Fine. They have to rent a car. Obviously they can't afford their own car. And the first day they came to Natanya, as you're going up from your Shulayim to it's you, you pass Natanya. Those of you who have been to Natanya, you know it's on the water, it's gorgeous. They take out the lunches from the car, they get some picnic tables, and they're sitting along the water, and they're eating. They finish lunch, and the father says, okay, let's get back in the car, we're gonna go to Tveria now. Eight-year-old Zevi says, Abba, I can't. Well, what's the problem? I have to use the bathroom, I have to use the facilities. But where are you gonna find the bathroom over here? There's only picnic tables there by the water over here. The Mediterranean. He takes a look, he sees a block away, there's a Jewish restaurant. He tells his wife and kids to get in the car, and he's gonna walk with his little boy. He comes to the restaurant, he knows they're not gonna be happy. He opens the door, there's a waitress standing at the door. She says, can I help you? He says, ma'am, please forgive me, I'm so sorry. I know that we're not coming to buy anything, but my son, we have a very long trip to Tveria. My son has to use the facilities. Would you mind if he uses the facilities He'll be very quick and then will leave right away. She looks around the whole restaurant. She says, okay, make it quick. Fine. The little boy goes, does what he has to do, and he's back, he's walking out. The father meets him in the middle of the restaurant. They're almost out of the restaurant until the Israeli waiter, Rafi, sees him. And he explodes. What are you doing here? Who gave you permission to go in here? All you religious Jews, you're all the same. You come, you use the facilities, you don't even buy anything here. What are you doing, who gave you permission? And he sees that that waitress is standing on the side and she's fainting. Because she knows that if he says that she's the one who let him in, he'll fire her right on the spot. And this guy's thinking like, what is he gonna do here? So in a second, listen to what he thinks of. He says, excuse me, sir, stop yelling. You got it all wrong. He said, what do you mean? He says, no, my son is going into the car. He's gonna bring everybody in. We're all eating here. He said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, we're all gonna be eating. He said, how many people are you? He said, "We're nine all together, seven kids and two adults." I said, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry." She said, Don't be sorry. Just set the tables. They set two tables, and the kids come in. First of all, the mother didn't even believe the kid. She said, "We never were in a restaurant." No, Abba said, "We got to come in." Fine. They never saw prices like this. They never saw food like this. They never saw portion like this. Every kid, the mother said, one dish and one drink. Fine. The kids are eating what they never ate before, and when they finish. So the waiter is coming to the table, and all of a sudden they notice that there's a lot of activity going outside the kitchen. There are six waiters standing, each one with a plate of ice cream on one hand and cake and sparklers in the other hand, and they're all marching towards this table. And the father stands up and says, Excuse me, sir, you made a mistake. We didn't order dessert. So the owner of the restaurant comes. He says, Sit down, I want to tell you something. We said, you don't know what happened when you guys sat down. That waitress came into the kitchen, she started crying. We couldn't control her. We said, what's wrong? She said, somebody just did something for me that nobody in my life ever did this for me. And she said, they didn't come to buy anything. It was only because he knew that i was going to get in trouble i was already thinking rafi was going to fire me i was thinking where am i going to get another job the only reason they sat down to eat this is the waitress telling everybody in the kitchen is to save my soul to make sure that i wouldn't get embarrassed so for special people we do special things that's why we gave it a dessert okay the kids are eating they're so happy and finally when they finish the dessert the father says the waiter could you give me a bill So he brings him a bill, and on the bill it says, the next time you come, it's 50% off. So the father says, yeah, but what about this afternoon? You know, we just ate now. (laughs) Listen to this. The owner of the restaurant comes over to him, and he says, in this restaurant we have a policy. We only charge people. We don't charge malachim. We don't charge angels. Could you imagine? That's what we could be. We could be giants, and we could be angels. I want to end with this story. In Lakewood, a couple years ago, they announced that two days before Pesach, all the elementary schools are going to be closed so that the Rebis, the teachers, could be at home and help the wives with everything that they need before Yatav. So now it's two days before Yatav, the fifth grade Rebbe comes in to the kitchen by his wife and says, you know, we have off, what can I do for you? She says, you really want to help me? He says, yeah, of course. He said, we have six kids. If you could take the kids, all of them, on a four hour outing, that would be great. I could cook, I could bake, I could clean, just get them out of the house. So, he's thinking like, well, where? Where in Lakewood, what could you do for four hours? Then he thinks, oh, Newark Airport, they have an air train, I don't know if you ever saw it. It's a very sleek train, it goes from, um, you know, just like you yeah, have the train here in Atlanta, but this is overground, and it goes from terminal to terminal, and you can see the planes taking off, and. Landing and it's over the Jersey Turnpike. So they go to long term parking and he takes the kids on the air train. They're having the time of their lives. They're sitting up front watching all the planes and people getting on and off and everything. They're on this train for two hours (laughs) and then a pilot walks on. Very spiffy looking guy with a uniform and a cap. And you know these southern guys, they're so friendly, right? And he goes over to father and kids. He goes over to the kids and says, Where are you guys all flying today? didn't know what to answer. <laughs> so they all look at the father. So the father says to the pilot, actually, we're flying nowhere. He says, excuse me, nowhere? He says, well, we have a religious holiday and my wife, you know, wanted to clean the house and bake. So she asked me if I could take the kids out on an outing and out again. We're just having a great time together. And the pilot gets very serious. He says, young man, I want to tell you something. He says, I've been a pilot for 25 years. There's not a major airport in this world that I haven't landed in. Two years ago, I got a text from my son. He said, Dad, you never had the decency to come to my birthdays. You didn't even have the decency to come to my graduation. And last week, your first grandson, my son, had a birthday party, and you didn't come. Do me a favor, take my number out of your contacts. And he said, two weeks later, I got the same text from my daughter. He said, young man, I have traveled everywhere, but gone nowhere. You, with your children, you told me you're going nowhere, but with your children, you're going everywhere. And that's the message that we have to leave with tonight. Our children, our grandchildren, that's what we have to spend the time with. We're going everywhere when we transmit everything that we've learned and anything in this wonderful shul, in this wonderful gala, make sure you spend time with your children and give it to your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Then we're going everywhere. Otherwise, we're going nowhere. We can be lions, we can roar back, we can be giants, and we can be malachim. It's just a matter of giving chizuk to each other. And if we have that unity, I'll just end with this thing. My father once told me this. I don't know where in the world he got it from. But he once said, I'll never forget this. Maybe he got it from the Reader's Digest. I don't know. But he said the word united and untied are spelled with the exact same letters. The only difference is where you put the I. If you put the I in the right place, a shul is united, a community is united, Kalah Yisrael is united. You put the I in the wrong place is untied. Yisrael is untied, and a family is untied. Let's put ourselves in the right perspective tonight. All coming together, this is the right thing to do. Hashem should bless all of us. In Tov should It should be that year of prison and It should be redemption, and that next year, with Hashem, Rabbi Feldman or Rabbi Koschkeshan will host us in the Binah Ne'omah in Eretz Yisrael. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening.